over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about the culture of Living Hope Family Church, who we are as a church. And culture is the behaviors, the beliefs, the characteristics of a particular group. So as we talk about the culture over the next uh, a few weeks over what we're talking, we're talking about who we are as a church, what we believe in, what is our, our vision for this church. And, and as we can see right now, I mean, we're just a, a few families in, this, in a small home church, but God has given us a much greater vision, a much greater vision to reach the city of Marana. We want to plant more churches. We want to, we just want to reach people for Jesus because inside of us, you know, the Bible says that we have uh, a treasure in earthen vessels. But we have this treasure, but we should be sharing it with the rest of the world as well. I mean, if we believe what we say we believe, why would we hide that from everybody else? But there's this, this hope that we have, and there's, this, there's a city and, a, and a, a country out there, a world that are, they, they don't have hope. They walk around with no hope for their future. They have, you know, just in despair, and some of them don't even realize it. And we have this hope that we want to share. And that's our vision as a church, a Living Hope Family Church, is to, to grow not just numerically, but so that we can reach more and more people for the kingdom of God. You know, our, if you look on our website, you'll see that our, our motto is evangelize, equip, and empower. So evangelize is, you know, when we go out there and, and we tell people about the gospel, we tell people about Jesus, and we get them saved, we get them so that they have a, the same treasure that we have in our hearts. And then equip them is, is part of what you're doing right now. You're coming into church to be equipped. is where you learn what the Bible says, what the kingdom of God has to say. And, and it's where you're taught how to reach out to these people. You know, the men's meetings is a place where you'll get equipped. As we have life groups, these different Bible studies, that's a place where you get equipped so that you can be effective when you're going out to tell the world about Jesus. And finally, the last one is empower. And uh, Praise Chapel, they have kind of the same model, but worded differently. There's worded differently, but theirs is win, build, and send. So empower or to send, that's where we're going to go out. And as people are raised up and they mature in the faith, our goal is to raise people up as pastors, as evangelists, as Bible study leaders. We want to, to reproduce people and grow them in maturity in the Lord so that they can go out and do the same things. You know, and, and that is our goal. We want to be planting churches to reach people for Jesus. And that's the way we're going to do it is by building people up. So that's our culture. So the first thing I want to talk about, the first part of our culture Oh. <laughs> okay, it's working now. Woo-hoo. Praise God. First thing I want to talk about, the first part of culture is we are people that are saved by grace. Now, there's a lot of different uh, teachings that go around, and, and, and there's a misunderstanding of what salvation really is. And what I want to focus on today is being saved by grace are these three parts. One, we have to understand that God loves us. You know, there's this idea that, that uh, God is sitting up in heaven and he's got this baseball bat. And he's like, John, mess up, I dare you. Do it, John. He's going to smack you with a stick, you know. And, and like if you watch TV, there's this God is just angry and he's wrathful. And, you know, of course, he's the one that sent the hurricanes to destroy New Orleans to, uh, to teach them the lessons. Now, the, red, the, the, uh, the district there, the Mardi Gras district, which is the worst part of New Orleans, was spared. I'm not sure why God did that if he was trying to punish a city for being bad. But God's not waiting up there to, to hit you with a stick. He's not up there trying to, to wait for you to mess up. God loves you with all of his heart. And we're going to look at some scriptures today. You're going to see that God is actually rejoicing, dancing in heaven for you. Next, in salvation, when you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it's not just forgiveness of sins. You know, we talk about being forgiven, 
And that's a great thing. Thank God that we're forgiven. But the truth is, that's not what it's all about. That's just the first half. We have been made brand new. We're given a new spirit. We are a brand new creation. And finally, it's a gift. Salvation and grace is a gift. There's nothing that you can do to earn it. So there's nothing that you can do to dis-earn it except for not believe. If there's, I mean, you can't be good enough to earn salvation. You can't, you know, this idea that, oh, the reason things bad are happening, I'm not doing well, is because I didn't read my Bible enough. It's false. There's no performance system. There's no, you know, level of, if, if I just do just enough things, then God will love me. If I do just enough things, then I'll be righteous. That's not how it works. It is a free gift given to us by God. Amen? So the next thing, the first thing we'll look at is Luke 12, 6 through 7. And I want you to know that you are valuable. He says, Are not five sparrows sold for two cents? Yet not one of them is forgotten before God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, you are more valuable than many sparrows. How do you know if something is valuable to something? You guys got any hobbies, anything that you guys do? For me, I'm a computer guy. At my regular job, I'm in IT, and I love electronics and computers. And that stuff, you know, my hobby, it's valuable to me. And you know how you can tell it's valuable to me? I know everything about it. You can ask me any question, and I know it. And here it says, it says, already up here, it says, uh, God knows every head, hair on your head. Everything, God knows everything about you. That's, you know, that's kind of, the, of, of uh, Jesus' way of saying, I mean, the number of hairs on your head, that's kind of a weird thing to know. But that's, that's Jesus' way of saying God knows everything about you. There's not a single thing that he, that he doesn't know. And you know the brilliant thing about it, the awesome thing about it, is he loves us anyway. I mean, even the person that knows you the most, your spouse, there's probably stuff you still haven't told them. Because, you know, like, would they still love me if I told them that? Well, God knows everything about you. Those things that nobody else knows but you, even the stuff you've tried to forget, God knows. But he loves you anyway, and it doesn't change a single thing. You're still valuable to God. There's a, uh, an illustration that I watched once, or heard about, and this guy gets up and he pulls out a $20 bill. And he, he, brand new, crisp $20 bill, and he shows it to the, to the classroom. And he says, who wants this $20 bill? And, of course, the whole class raised their hand, right? So all raised their hand. And he goes, okay. Now it's not crisp and new. Who wants this $20 bill? And the whole class raises their hand again. He goes, okay, hold on a second. And he crumbles it back, and he takes it, and he steps on the ground, and bends it into the ground, and he ruins it up. And he picks it up, and it's filthy, and it's dirty, and it's crumpled, and it's got little rips in it. And he says, would anybody here still like this $20 bill? And of course, everybody raises their hand. Because the value of this $20 bill didn't change if it was a little bit wrinkled. It didn't change if it was torn or ripped or dirty. And the truth is, it doesn't matter what our outsides look like, the stuff that we've been through, our value to God doesn't change. There was a commercial, and uh, I think it came out in like the late 90s, as a Nike commercial. And, and maybe you guys remember it, but it was showed, the first one it showed was a picture of a guy, I think it was a wrestler or a boxer with a big scar across the side of his face. And it, it never said anything. And then it went to the next one, it's this bull rider, and he lifts up a patch, and his eye is all mangled, and he's blind in the one eye, and you can tell he got kicked by a bull or something. And then it shows a, 
a runner, and she's got a huge scar down her face. And then it shows a wrestler, and he's got a, a cauliflower ear down her face. Sorry, down her leg. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no laughing at the preacher. <laughs> so, <laughs> he, uh, so he's see, look what you did. <laughs> yeah, where's that? Okay, so we've got the, the, the runner with the scar down her leg and the wrestler with cauliflower ear. And then it shows this surfer, and he lifts up his, his leg, and he's got this, this bite of a, of a shark. And the thing about this commercial is it's showing all these people that you would think they're scarred, they're marred, that they're not as, as pretty as they would be if the stuff wouldn't happen. But the, the music in the background that they played was the, you are so beautiful to me. And that's how God sees us. There's nothing in your life that can scar you or mar you bad enough that God doesn't think you're beautiful. He doesn't think you're valuable. And you see here it says, and not five sparrows sold, are not five sparrows sold for two cents. And what he's trying to say is sparrows are like the most worthless thing that they could buy at that time. Two cents, two cents, two pennies. They're worthless. But God still cares about them, yet not one of them is forgotten before God. And it says, indeed, or it says, do not fear, you are more valuable than many sparrows. You are so valuable to God. Amen? Amen? Next, in Zephaniah 3.17, it says, The Lord your God is in your midst, a victorious warrior. He will exalt in you. He will exalt over you with joy. He will be quiet in his love. He will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. And actually, like the New King's James Version translation, um, it says, The Lord your God is in your midst. The Mighty One will save. Praise God, he's a saving God. It says, he will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love, and he will rejoice over you with singing. And this is the, this image that you don't really see. We ha- I think we have, this I know I do most of the time, when I think about God, he's very solemn and stoic, and you know, he's looking down with wisdom. And, but the Bible says that he is rejoicing over you with shouts of joy. Have you ever been to a football game? Do you, do you have, or are any of your kids in sports and you watch them and they, they just have a good play and you jump up in the stand and you're screaming like crazy and all the other parents are like, you know, and your kid's out there, Dad, stop it, you're embarrassing me. You know, that's, that's uh, but that's God up in heaven. when He's re- jumping up and down like that and rejoicing over you. And he doesn't care what other people think. He loves you. And then in first feeder, first, <laughs> it's easy for me to say, first Peter 5, 6 through 7, it says, therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Anxiety is a distress. It's like a, it's when you feel just tense and distressed because of fear. And anxiety is always fear. You're afraid that you're not going to have enough money to pay rent. You're afraid that the light bill is going to go off. You're afraid that you're not going to get to work on time. This anxiety is always caused by fear. But God says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And it's like your children, when they look up to you, do you think your children are worried when, if they're going to have dinner tonight? No, because they trust you. They've casted that anxiety on you. They're not worried about eating. They're not worried that you're not going to be home when you come home. They... That's how we should be with God. Cast all of our cares on him, all of our anxiety, anything that, that we're afraid of, we give to him, and he is faithful because he cares for us. And then it says, but you, in Psalm 86, 15, but you, O Lord, 
are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness and truth. God's love is never-ending. It's so abundant and we cannot exhaust it. You know, there's not just enough love for everybody and if I take too much, then somebody gets less. It's inexhaustible. And it says he's slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness and truth. He loves us so much. Amen. Next one. In Romans 5, 8. It says, But God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You know, in the Bible, uh, Jesus said, Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. And that was in John 15, 13. God demonstrated, God has already defined what the greatest love is, and it's to lay down your life. And then he goes and does it. But something that I want you to notice, it says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God didn't die for the righteous. You know, Jesus said it's not, the, uh, it's not the healthy that need a physician. God didn't die for those of us that are righteous. God didn't die for people that were good enough. But God actually died for us while we were yet sinners. And what will blow your mind is that sins of the world have been taken care of. We, think, we, we come to think that, that only the sins of believers have been taken care of. But that's not true. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The sins of the world were taken care of the entire world when Christ died. And all that's left for us is to receive that forgiveness. And in Ephesians 2, 4 through 5, it says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive with Christ. That while we were yet sinners, that's when we were dead in our transgressions. That's the... I mean, we were born into this world broken people. You know, when Adam was, was born in this world, he had no past. He was, he was made clean and pure, and then, he, he, then he, you know, he, took, he took the apple, and he became broken. And that brokenness has been passed down to us generation to generation. We're dead in our transgressions, but thank God it doesn't end there, because as we've made alive together with Christ. And the problem when we read these scriptures, though, is it says his own Lord love towards us, because of his great love with which he loved us. And we have a tendency to generalize these things. And there's a great problem with generalizing this stuff. It'd be like if you read the newspaper and somebody comes up and he's holding the newspaper and he goes, hey, this rich millionaire, he just passed away. And he left all of his money to one person. And you're like, well, yeah, that's, that's pretty normal. You see that all the time. This guy, he left his money to some other person. It doesn't, it doesn't relate to me. Why do I care? But he goes, no, no, no. That one person was you. And then you're like, now I care. <laughs> this money is, is given to me. Now it makes a difference. So when you read this and it says God demonstrates his own love towards us, don't read it as somebody else in the paper getting that million dollars. John, he's talking about you. God loves you, John. And Monique, he loves you. And he loves you, George. He loves you, Joseph. And Anita. He loves us all. You personalize it for you. And it makes a difference. He's talking about me. In John 3, 3, it says, Jesus answered and said to him, you know, now we've just talked about the love of God. We have to understand that God loves us. And that drives everything that he does. 
the Bible says that God is a jealous God, but not jealous like we're jealous, you know, the petty, you know, oh, I see my girlfriend or somebody and now I want to, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm angry with her, I'm, I'm upset with her. And there's this jealousy is driven by a, a fear of somebody getting something that you want. You know, they're, they're taking it away from you. So you become angry with the person taking it away from you. But God's not jealous in the same sense that, that he's, he becomes petty about it, but he does have such a great love for us that he wants us all to himself. And there's times when we don't give ourselves completely to him, and he doesn't get angry with us. He still loves us, but that's what drives his love for us is because he, he made us to be in fellowship with him, and he wants us. But that's the first part where we looked at Jesus' love for us, God's love for us. The next part is I want to talk about is how we've been made brand new. When we're talking about salvation by grace, that's so important. That's actually the most important part of salvation, and it'll change your life if you really understand what that means. In John 3.3, Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And if you remember, he's talking to Nicodemus, this, uh, I believe he's a uh, Jewish lawyer, and Nicodemus is old and he's confused about this. But the word there that's used, born again, it can also mean, or also be translated, born from above. And the truth is, Jesus isn't talking about, and this is what confused Nicodemus, he's not talking about being born again in the natural, being born again of the flesh, you know, having your mother birth you again. He's talking about a spiritual birth. And he says, you must be born again to see the kingdom of God. And that's where salvation comes in. It's our old life is taken out of us. And we're given a brand new life. If you look here in 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. That old you, the broken you, before you had Jesus, that one that was dead in our transgressions, died with Jesus. And we were given a brand new life. We are made new. You are a new creature. Now, how many people... If I took my car outside and I put a brand spanking new paint job on it and it looked beautiful, but I came up to you and said it's a new car, what would you tell me? That's not a new car. You just painted it. That's still got 200,000 miles on it. I can still hear it knocking when you drive it up in the driveway. You know, this is not a brand new car. And that's kind of what the law did when you look at all the sacrifices. It was putting a brand new paint job on a car, but the insides... Still had 200,000 miles on them. Still knocking. Still leaking oil. You know, the frame's not good. Every time you turn, it creaks. But Jesus made us brand new. There's nothing wrong with you anymore. You've been made pure and holy. And like I said earlier, Adam had no past. And when you're born again of Jesus Christ, you have no past. All that stuff that you look back at and you think, God can never love me for this. It's gone. It's done away with. You have no past in Jesus, and you are brand new before God. And he looks at you, and he sees the life of Jesus, which we know is perfect, which is an incredible thing. That's a miracle. That's not just forgiveness of sins. It is so much more. And the truth is, as far as sin goes, men don't go to hell. Men and women don't go to hell for, for the stuff they did. Nobody is in hell for what they've done. Because like I told you earlier, Christ died for the sins of the whole world. People go to hell because they make a choice not to receive this gift that God has given them. Hell is full of people that are good people. You know, they lived good lives. They've done all the right things. But like Jesus said, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. 
So once you've received Jesus, you receive, you've been made brand new, what does that mean? In Romans 5.10 it says, for, while if we were in him, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. To reconcile is to bring into agreement or harmony. It's like when you reconcile a checkbook, you are making sure that the in equals the out. And that's what God did with Jesus. He reconciled us. I mean, we had a debt to God. You know, the wages of sin is death, and that debt had to be paid. But God came in and he paid that. He made sure the in in equaled the out. He put us in harmony with God. We were in agreement with God. which is great as far as forgiveness of sin goes. He cleaned up that debt. But much like the law, it just wouldn't be enough. It says, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Jesus' resurrection, his life is what made the difference. You know, the law would have, would have fixed us. We wouldn't have had to have Jesus if that was enough. If just taking care of your sins was enough, we wouldn't have had to have had Jesus. I mean, because that's what they did. They sacrificed the blood of bulls and goats to take care of of sin. And it was forgiven, at least until the next time they had to sacrifice, because they were continually offering sacrifices. But if that was enough, then then, then we would have stopped there. But we see that we are saved by his life. Jesus' life is what makes us brand new. Also, we find out in Acts 13, 38-39, that we are forgiven and free. It says, Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through him forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And through him, everyone who believes is freed from all things, from which you cannot be freed of through the law of Moses. When you're made brand new, you're actually freed from those things that held you down. The sin that, you know, Paul described it like this in the book of uh, Romans chapter 7. He's talking about the two natures, and he says, you know, I want to do good. I want to be good, but I find myself doing stuff that's not good, and I don't understand it. I, under- I agree with what God says. I agree these things are good. I agree that I want to be good, but I can't do it. As sin works through me, even though I try to be good, I keep messing up. And I think, like, I remember in my life, before I finally understood what it meant to be free through Jesus, I kept trying to do the right thing. I kept trying to, to stop cussing and stop, so I used to smoke, and I used to do all kinds of stupid stuff. And I kept trying to do it on my own. And I kept failing. You know, I'd go for a day or two, maybe a week, and then I would screw up again. And I wanted to do the right thing, but it's just like I couldn't. I couldn't hold on to it. And then I finally realized that this has been taken care of for me. Jesus has freed me from these things. That freedom is the difference in your life. When you understand that it's not you that has to do the right thing, but it's Christ living through you that allows you to be free from sin. That stuff that used to have a hold on you no longer has a hold on you. We also find out in Colossians that we're complete. In Colossians 2, 10 10 through 12, It says, and in him you have been made complete. And he is the head over all rule and authority. And in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. In the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith and the working of God, who raised him from the dead.
The problem with scriptures like this is we read that we've been made complete. We sometimes go, Pastor Wayne, I don't feel complete. Sometimes I feel like there's something missing. And we have to understand that our feelings don't govern who we are. We are complete because God said we're complete. And then he says, In him you are also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands and the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. In the Old Testament, circumcision was a, was a sign of the covenant before God and a piece, of the, a piece of flesh was removed from the body to show that there was a covenant. But with Jesus, it says, you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of the Christ. This is a circumcision of the heart, that old heart that you had, the heart of stone it's referred to in the Bible, was removed and a new heart of flesh was put in. You know, and this is how we talked about when we were free from our sins. This is how we're free because we've been given a new heart, a new way of thinking. The life of Christ lives inside of us. And then it goes on to say, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up, we, we die with Christ in this representation of baptism. We die with Christ and we are raised up again in newness of life. And this new life that we've been given, the one that God sees when he looks at us, that's the new life that we're living. Paul says, it is not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And that's this new life that we've been given. And this, this pain and suffering and, and death that we deserved for, for who we are, or who we are in our, in our transgression or sin, by faith we died and we're punished with Jesus Christ. So it's taken care of by us. And this is something that I want to point out is he says, working in him through faith and the working of God who raised him from the dead is, this is through faith. I don't know if you guys have ever heard the stories of, I think they do it in the Philippines, but these guys that, that have been deceived in what God's talking about when we have to uh, go through the punishment with, of Jesus with him and die with him and then raised again. And they actually walk up and down the roads carrying whips with just like the ones that the Romans used. And they flog themselves walking up and down the road. And if you walk, you can see them. Their backs are bloody and ripped open. And they're doing this like reenactment of Christ's sufferings, trying to make themselves pure. And they think that because Jesus did it, they have to do it. That's the only way that they can be made clean and made new. But the truth is, we've already suffered this stuff through faith in Jesus Christ. You don't have to physically be punished. You know, when we think that if we don't do something right, God punishes us to show us a lesson. I can promise you that, that God is not punishing you to teach you a lesson because all that was taken care of in Christ. God is not reaching down and smacking you because the payment was taken care of. What was owed has already been taken care of. And we do that through faith in Christ, not by literally going through terrible times. Finally, in Titus 2.14, it says, Who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed, and we're talking about Jesus, and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. By Jesus Christ paying the ultimate sacrifice and his finished work, we are made pure. And I think the greatest proof that we are made pure is the fact that Jesus lives inside of us. The Spirit of God lives inside of us. Now, God is pure. God is holy. No one's going to argue that. But because of that, he cannot associate with, with stuff that's not pure. He can't be, be in fellowship with stuff that's not pure. Uh, John said that God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. So the fact the Spirit of God lives inside of you. It's proof that you are pure. Even if you don't feel pure, even if you don't feel holy, you are. And the proof of that is that God lives inside of you. 
And then finally it says he wants to make us a, a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. You know, when we talk about good deeds and doing works, you guys heard about, you know, the, the whole works thing, doing works to be, to be made right. But we're not saved by works, we're saved by grace. And, uh, but it says we're to be zealous for good deeds, for good works, other translations say. But the truth is, this is a reaction to what God's done for us. I mean, if somebody gave you everything, if I came and gave you $100, I mean, you have a natural response to want to somehow repay me or to, to do right by that. And that's kind of our natural reaction when we realize that God's done all this for us. What is our natural response but to be zealous for good deeds? Actually, these good deeds, the Bible says, we were created for. But it's not we're doing these good deeds to be made right in God, to look good in front of God, but we actually do good deeds as a result of what it is. It's kind of like putting the cart before the horse. If you put the cart in front of the horse, it's not going anywhere. But the truth is, with the cart behind the horse, these good deeds are as a natural result of what God's done for us. And then we find out in Hebrews 10, 12 through 13, it says, But he, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. For by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. In the Old Testament, <laughs> I sometimes think about what it must have looked like back then because they did a morning sacrifice, they had an evening sacrifice, they had a sacrifice at certain times of the year, different festivals, and this is for each family. They're sacrificing a bull twice a day. Can you imagine how many dead animals are just <laughs> had to have been strewn around? To, I mean, obviously they had a plan for what's being done with those because it wouldn't have just been carcasses everywhere, but man, I think about all the animals that died <laughs> to, to try to pay for the sin of man. But obviously there, were, there was a flaw in these sacrifices because if you sacrificed in the morning and it took care of everything, then why would you sacrifice again in the evening and then the next day and the next day? Obviously it's like it ran out. You're covered for a short period of time. The sacrifice runs out and we've got to make a new one. But it says he's been offered, his, offered one sacrifice for sins for all time and sat down at the right hand of God. Like I said last week, he sat down to say it was finished. One sacrifice for all time. Which is why we don't do sacrifices to this day because it happened once and it covered the sin of all, all man. But you say, well, what about the sins that hadn't happened yet? What about my, I understand that when I'm, I'm, I ask God into my heart, Jesus into my heart, my sins are forgiven. But what about the sins that are from that point on? So I ask you this question, when Jesus died, how many of your sins were future sins? 2,000 years ago, every single one of your sins was in the future. You weren't born yet. And Christ paid for them all. The sins in the future, in the past, they're done with. And it says, for by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. It was a one-time deal and it was done. We don't have to worry about other sacrifices having to be made, other payments having to be made. Like I said earlier, God's not going to punish you to teach you a lesson, to, to somehow bring you righteous again if you mess up. That's been taken care of. We only have to receive it. And when you do mess up, you say, thank God that I'm forgiven. Thank you, Jesus. That I'm not, not, oh Lord, please forgive me. I feel terrible. I'm going to think about how, I'm going to think about what I did and feel really, really bad for a long time. That's focusing on sin. We don't want to focus on sin. We want to focus on the, the perfect, incomplete sacrifice of God. So instead of saying, oh Lord, please forgive me for this and begging God for forgiveness, 
just thank God that you are forgiven because you are. And I tell you what, that'll change your outlook on what Jesus did for you. It'll change your life and how you, how you act. I know it did for me when I began to realize that I don't have to be, feel terrible and somehow beat myself up so I can somehow reach righteousness again because I still am righteous even when I mess up. And I thank God that I am forgiven. Let's go back this one more time. And then the last thing is I've talked about us being perfect, us being pure, being holy. All these things the Bible says that we are. And like I said, sometimes you don't feel like you're perfect. Sometimes you don't feel that way. And sometimes we don't act that way. And I know that because I know I see it in my own life. Sometimes I don't act like who I am. And I always like to think about, you guys all seen The Matrix? Do you remember Neo? And he's... uh, he doesn't know who he is. They're saying, hey, you're the one that's supposed to come and save the world. You're the one who's supposed to, to have control over the matrix and you can do all these great things and you're the one that's going to free us from the suppression. And he doesn't know who he is. He says, no, that's not me. And then you remember he's on the rooftop and he grabs the, the helicopter and he holds it and he holds it up. And Morpheus looks out and he says, he's starting to believe. Now, you, did you know that at that time, he didn't become Neo. He didn't become the, the person that they thought was coming. He had always been that person from the day one. He just didn't know it. That's who we need to realize that sometimes we don't know it. We don't know that we're pure, we're perfect, and we're holy. But that's who we are always. It doesn't matter how you feel. If you're governed by your feelings, you're always going to run into problems. But what does the Word of God say about you? God says that you're perfect. God says that you're pure, that you're holy, that you've been made brand new. And it's when you begin to start seeing that, when you begin to believe that, you begin to live out who you are in Christ. Much like we just talked about Neo, begin to live out who he actually was. The same thing that you'll do, you begin to live out who you actually are. And then in Romans 6.23, now we've talked about the love of God, how he loves us. We've talked about what that means. We've been made brand new. And the final thing we have to understand in this idea of salvation by grace is that it is a gift. It has been given to us. We can't earn it. In Romans 6.23, it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the, gift, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then in Romans 3.21-24, it says, But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even if the righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus for all those who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. So I went to to dictionary.com and looked up the word gift, just to get the exact definition. And it says, something given voluntarily without payment in return, as to show favor towards someone, honor, and a an occasion, or to make a gesture of assistance. And the other, the other uh, definition says something bestowed or acquired without any particular effort by the recipient, or without its being earned. So you see why the word gift is used. It was something that was given without anything required on our part. We didn't have to work hard enough. We didn't have to be good enough. God loved us anyway, and He took care of that for us. And I love that God didn't lower His standards. 
in order to do this for us. Because it says, for the wages of sin is death. And God being a righteous God, that if you're not righteous, that has to be paid for. And being a righteous God, he didn't lower his standard with Jesus. Because you know what he could have done? He could have broke the rules and said, you know what, I'm just going to forgive them. I'm just going to ignore their sin. But God, because he's righteous, couldn't do that. Because we wouldn't be righteous. He would just forget about it. He would just kind of turn his back. But that's not what God did. He didn't lower standards. The standard was that the wages of sin is death. The penalty had to be paid. So he paid it in his son for us. Now I know for me, I wouldn't give up my son for anything. If I was God, you'd all be going to hell. I'll be honest. Because I can't imagine having to kill my son. And can you imagine how much love God has for us that he was able to do that for us? Absolutely blows my mind. And I think about when Jesus was in the garden and he's saying, Lord, if there's any other way, he's sweating blood. He says, but not my will, your will be done. And we look at this and we think, man, Jesus is sweating blood. He is having a rough time. I mean, he knows what he's going to have to go through. But I've always thought about what was God feeling at that time? When Jesus said, Dad, if there's any other way. I know if that was my son, I'd forget it. <laughs> All right, it's just not going to happen. Because I, don't, I couldn't do that. The, the love that I feel for my son. But God's love for us was great enough to overcome that. That he sent his only son, that he sent himself to die. And that blows my mind. And then finally you see that righteousness, the righteousness of God has been manifested in us. God's own righteousness is manifested in us. And the greatest part about it is for there is no distinction for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. You know, that's one of the biggest problems that Jews had was they thought that salvation was just for them. They thought that God only cared for his chosen people. And when they found out that Paul was preaching to the Gentiles, I mean, they ended up, he ended up getting beheaded for it in the end because they just couldn't understand how you would take something from God to these unholy, the heathen, the Gentiles. It says there's no distinction for all of sin and fall short of glory of God. God loves us all equally the same. God's plan from the beginning wasn't just for the Jews to be saved. It was for the entire world to be saved. We find that, that, that uh, God, the, the Bible says that God doesn't wish for any to perish, but to all to come to him. And then in Romans 11, 5 through 6, it says, In the same way then, there has also come to be at the present time a remnant according to God's gracious choice. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. We talk about the meanings of grace and mercy. Grace is being given something that you don't deserve. Mercy is is not being given something that you do deserve. And we see both of that. I mean, we deserve that punishment. But through God's mercy, he sent his son to pay for it, which is grace. He gave us something we didn't deserve, which was that new life. And then it says, but if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. And we've talked about that already, that because it's a free gift, it doesn't require 
anything on our part other than to believe, other than to accept that free gift. And it's not by works. It's not by how much you read your Bible. It's not by how much you go to church. It's not by how many good deeds you did, how many, how many old ladies you walk across the street. It's not about any of that. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. Because like we said, grace, grace, which was everything that God accomplished in Jesus, is also giving you something that you don't deserve. And if you worked on it, then you could argue that I deserve this. I mean, <laughs> how many of your kids do you ever feel like that uh, they feel like that you owe them something? You know, you come Christmas time, all of a sudden they deserve all this great stuff. Not, not, not you, Ali. I was talking about Haley and Blake. Not you. But you know, they have this idea that, that we're owed this. But, and you, you try to teach them. You're like, no, you're not owed this. I do this because I love you and because I want to give you something. But you, you didn't do anything to earn this. You didn't do anything. This, there's no contract that I have to sign at the hospital that says I agree to give them you know, $200 worth of presents every Christmas and, and every birthday. But we do it because we love them. And it's not on the basis of work. The same thing. God gave us this magnificent gift, not on the basis of works. Because we don't ever want to be able to say that we earned it. And in Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Can you imagine heaven if everybody did it on their own? I mean, you get to heaven and, yeah, I went to church every single day of my life. I didn't miss a Sunday. That's why I'm here. Oh, yeah? Well, I also went on Wednesday nights. Didn't miss a single Wednesday. That's why I'm here. Oh, yeah? Well, I gave every spare, every spare bit of money that I had to the church. And I went to church on Sunday and on Wednesdays. And that's why I'm here. So, obviously, I am more righteous than you. Can you imagine heaven being like, that would be terrible. And then God's like, um, no, you're here because I love you. And I gave up something so precious to me. That's why it's a gift. That's why we receive it. Because it's not the result of works. We wouldn't, it's not so we can boast. You know, that's something the Jews had in their day was, they could boast of how, how righteous they were, of how good they were. They could boast of, I mean, and they, and they often did it. You know, that was one thing Jesus called them out for was looking great in public, but behind closed doors they were, weren't so great. But they boasted of how good they were. When they gave offerings to God, they did it with a loud voice and made sure everybody knows, hey, everybody, look, I'm giving $100 in the offering plate. You can go ahead and thank me later. I'll sign, I'll sign autographs. You can come shake my hand. I'm pretty incredible, I know. That's this idea that they had. But the truth is, and it's what is so amazing about God, is he didn't lower his standards. He said this penalty had to be paid. But he also did it in such a way that we couldn't talk about how good we were. And it was all based on what he did. But because it's a gift, we do have to receive it. Now, if I pulled out my wallet, George, and I said, George... This wallet is yours. It is yours. So now we know it's George's wallet, right? But who still has it? I do. George actually has to come up and take the wallet from me to receive it. And the same thing it is with Jesus. 
that gift has been given to us freely, but you still have to receive it. You still got to get out of your chair and take the wallet. Amen? And the final thing that we're going to look at today is in Acts 8, 36 through 37. It says, As they went along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, If you believe with all your hearts, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And then in Acts 16, 30 through 31, if you remember the story, this is when Paul and uh, Silas were in the prison, and they got thrown up, and they just started singing and praising God. Can you imagine that? They got thrown in prison, and instead of whining and crying, and knowing that they were put there unjustly, they just began to praise God. How many times have you been going through a rough part, and the first thing that you think of is to praise God? Usually I whine a little bit, and then God convicts me, and then I, thank you, then I cast my anxiety on Him, because I know He's faithful. But they began to sing and praise, and then an earthquake happens. All the doors open. They're all completely freed from the shackles and chains. And the jailer comes in, and he sees that all the doors are open. And he begins to, he gets ready to kill himself because he knows that if all the prisoners got out, that's what they're going to do to him much worse. You know, they're not just going to kill him, they're going to punish him. You know, and, and we've seen the capability of the, the Romans to punish people in Jesus. So he begins to kill himself, and Paul cries out, Stop, stop, we're all here. Not just Paul and Silas, but every prisoner that was there deservingly stayed too. And this jailer is just blown away at what he sees. He sees, you know, this 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 he sees Christ manifested in Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he says, "Sirs, what must I do to be saved?" And they said, "Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household." This is a side note. I didn't plan on talking about this, but you and your household. You know, as men, as the, as the fathers of our household, are responsible for our children. That if we will live a godly life, then our children will have the opportunity to live a godly life. That's what it means, you and your household. It doesn't mean that if you get saved, your kids are saved. But it does mean that if you get saved, you'll begin to raise your kids in such a way that they'll be able to develop their own relationship and receive that free gift themselves. But it says, only believe. And here it says, look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? You know, we, baptism in the, the time of Acts was kind of like we do an altar call now. We say, you know, who, who would like to receive Jesus? And we pray with them. Back then, who would like to receive Jesus? And they threw him in some water. And that was their expression. That was their altar call back then. And he says, well, what prevents me from being baptized? So he's not just talking about baptism. He's talking about what prevents me from being saved right now? Why can't I do it now? And what is the requirement? If you believe with all your heart. The only requirement for salvation is belief. What must I do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not the baptism that saved him. Now, we should be baptized. That's, that's part of our, our commitment to Christ is we do get baptized. Not as a, it's not what makes us clean. The water doesn't clean us from our sins. Jesus already did that. But what it is is it's being obedient to the word of God who says be baptized. But it's believing in God that lets us be saved. And I thank God that it's not anything that I, that I do because I've fallen short so many times. Like I said, I used to want to be good, and I couldn't. I would try, and I would fail. And I thank God that it's not based on what I did. I only have to believe. Amen.